Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast today. My very special guest is Dr. David Hanscom. Thank you, David, for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited about being here. So David is a back surgeon and is currently working in Seattle. He's been doing this for 30 years. And he has a personal journey himself of having chronic pain and suffered for 16 years with low back pain himself and had two failed back surgeries. And he's the author of the book Back in Control and also the website backincontrol.com. He runs a radio show there in Seattle and he produces weekly emails for people to learn more about how to master and cure chronic pain. So thank you, David. Thank you. So let's go back in time. Where did you grow up and where did you go to college? So part of the chronic pain journey is people have what's called adverse childhood experiences. By the time I was 18 years old, I had lived in 12 different houses. So New England, Fresno, Bakersfield, Santa Cruz, Aptos, Hawthorne, Los Angeles. So I never stayed in a school more than one to two years. But I ended up in Napa Valley for the longest time through high school and college. So I considered Napa Valley my home. And then I went to medical school at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And then I've been in practice since 1986. So what made you choose medicine as a career? My father was a doctor. And you asked, well, why did he move so many times? And he just kept changing careers. He's a country guy. He really had a challenging time getting along with his peers. And he's a brilliant guy, but he's boarded in family practice. He took internal medicine. He's boarded in anesthesiology, but he just kept switching jobs. Anyway, he was the reason I became a physician, nonetheless. And, you know, I know you've had a history yourself of back pain. So is that the reason why you ended up doing back pain or pain medicine as a, a subspecialty within your domain? Well, it's all by accident. I actually took orthopedics in Hawaii because I simply wanted to write off my honeymoon. And so I was actually doing internal medicine in Spokane, Washington, and very happy with it. I was planning on doing either cardiology or infectious disease or emergency room. And I get a phone call two years later saying, do you want to do orthopedics in Hawaii? And I go, sure. Probably I'm not the personality probably to have gone into spine surgery, probably more of an internist at heart. That's not a really profound answer, I realize. Okay, so um, that's an interesting, I didn't realize that that actually happened. So maybe explains a little bit why you've got this duality of surgery in one hand, but yet you know, medicine and the other, and in the context of this podcast, you know, pain medicine. Right. So right now, tell us a little bit about where you are in your career. I've done complex spine surgery for 32 years, almost 33. When I did my spine fellowship, was at Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is considered one of the top spine fellowships in the world at the time. And I came out of there in 1986 on fire and just determined to do spine surgery. 
And surgeons are trained to do surgery. And so in defense of the surgeons that I think now are too aggressively doing surgery, I was one of those surgeons. So I was one of those surgeons that's truly been both sides of the fence. Still had nine times rate of spine fusions for back pain as any place in the entire country when I first started my practice. It wasn't until 1993 where the data came out that the success rate for a spine fusion for back pain was about 22% that I stopped. I go, well, I'm not going to keep doing this anymore. So I went into my horrible abyss of chronic pain right around that time for about 12, 13 years. And that's how this whole process evolved of understanding chronic pain. But what happens with chronic pain is actually not just pain. It's all sorts of other symptoms of a stressed out nervous system. So I had 16 symptoms at the same time. I had migraine headaches, ringing in my ears, burning in my feet, headaches, neck pain, back pain, stomach pain, and I had anxiety. I had obsessive thought patterns, and the list just went on and on and on. And when I came out of my chronic pain in 2003 by accident, it took me another few years to figure out what had happened. Around 2006, when I started implementing these sort of concepts I learned the hard way with my patients, and by 2011, things had become much clearer. In the last five years, neuroscience research has been stunning, showing us the exact answer to solving chronic pain. Okay, nice flow of events there going over you know, the last 20 years or so. So you've mentioned before about this neuroscience. So what are the big studies in your mind that really points towards we can actually cure pain in patients' lives? Well, what has happened, there's these special research scans called functional MRI scans. There's also similar types of metabolic scans that can measure activity in different parts of the brain. So again, compared to human consciousness, we don't know as much as we will know in 100 years, but we're getting a much better idea which part of the brain is active when. So I think one of the classic papers for me was in 2014 out of Chicago that they took a group of patients, volunteers, who had acute back pain. They did this research MRI scan on them, and they showed that the pain center that correlated with the low back lit up, as you would expect. Then they took a group of patients who had chronic pain for more than 10 years, they found out that the pain center actually didn't light up, that only the emotional centers lit up. That was it. And so then they took the patients who had pain for less than three months. They did scans on them every three months to see what's going on. And they found out that within 12 months that they became chronic, that the pain shifted from the pain center to the emotional center. So it turns out that chronic pain is an embedded memory connected with more and more life experiences the memory can't be erased. So that's the paper to me. It was a pretty big landmark paper clearly showing that you have the same pain. You show the back pain, but you have a different driver. And then the other one is phantom limb pain. When you have your leg or arm amputated, you actually know the source of the pain. And you get rid of it, nothing changes. That's pretty sobering. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. And again, these pain circuits gets memorized. And so just a couple papers that start the process. So how have you taken these studies, these landmark studies, and then integrated that into your daily practice? Remember, I was in chronic pain for over 15 years, and I tried everything. I'm a physician, access to all sorts of medical care. I tried medications. I actually went to psychotherapy for 13 years. I mean, I was pretty darn desperate. And so nothing worked. In fact, things get way, way worse. And... What I didn't realize is that when you have pain, it's like an athlete learning a skill or an artist or a musician, 
So this repetition brain simply memorizes these pathways. So psychotherapy is valuable in its place, but psychotherapy alone is not going to solve chronic pain because your brain's going to develop wherever you place its attention. So we now know that the brain changes every second. At least when I was in medical school, we thought the brain was static, that you only could lose brain mass rather than gain it as you get older. So what we've learned is that solving chronic pain is like learning a new language, is that if you learn French or Spanish, you'll take the classes, listen to the tapes, practice, maybe immerse yourself. But in five years, your brain now is a part of the brain that now speaks Spanish. So, but you didn't learn Spanish by trying to correct your English. Same thing with chronic pain, you have these permanent pain circuits that are cranking away, part of the unconscious brain, and you can't solve chronic pain by trying not to be in pain. You actually have to develop a different part of your brain, the new language I call an enjoyable life. What happens is you use what we call somatic tools, connecting thoughts with physical sensations to develop new circuits and pathways while you develop a part of your brain that actually is much more enjoyable and pleasant and with repetition becomes very, very powerful. As you use the pain pathways less, they start to atrophy. So the process is about becoming aware of the automatic survival response you create a little bit of a space, and then you move forward. What happened by accident is that in 2001, I picked up a book called Feeling Good by David Burns. And David Burns said to start writing, and so I started to write. And I thought it was the book. It turns out that it's actually these writing exercises that starts breaking up the cycle. We know from these research MRI scans that if you take a kindergartner's brain who's learning how to write, that the whole brain lights up. So there's something about writing things down that allows these circuits to be broken up and disrupted. And you simply write down your thoughts, tear them up. Most of the research, which now involves over a thousand papers, involves negative writing. It turns out it doesn't matter, any type of writing, just thoughts. So the starting point for all my patients is basically write down your thoughts, tear them up. It could be five minutes, 10 minutes, once or twice a day. And you tear them up for two reasons. First of all, you wanna write with freedom, it can be positive or negative. But you also don't want to analyze the thoughts because where's your attention? It's on the thoughts, right? So what you're doing, you're creating an awareness and separation, which are the first two stages of neuroplasticity. Then you redirect your brain to where you want to go. So the writing does an awareness and separation of one move. And I will tell you, within two weeks after I started my own writing exercises, I felt a shift for the first time in you know, literally 15 years. By six weeks, it was really game on. And by six months later, I healed. It was unbelievable. Now, the writing is just a starting point, not the solution. So, so other things started to get added onto that, including sleep. But those expressive writing exercises, I've been documented over a thousand research papers to be effective. And I can tell within 15 seconds whether a patient of mine started the writing or not. Nothing actually really happens until the writing starts. Wow. Listen, thank you for being so explicit about this. I know I've read your book, and now I'm beginning to say to my patients, look, you must start writing. And to be fair, I think the ones who are writing are generally are happier and are generally moving towards less pain in their day. You know, I wouldn't say I've had any right. remarkable results yet. I've only been specifically looking at this as a first-line strategy for a couple of months now. Right. Um, but it's nice to see this change going on in my practice. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to promote this as a first-line attack on understanding and, and literally, as you say, the awareness and separation um, of the problem and then away from the problem towards right. you know a healthier 
painless or pain, hopefully pain-free state. Yeah, the hardest part about the project is that you can't fix yourself because your attention's on yourself. So it's hard because all of us are used to fixing ourselves and it's like climbing this endless mountain without a top to it. So inadvertently, as you try to fix yourself, you're actually reinforcing the same pathways you're trying to solve. So again, if you think in terms of neuroplasticity, in other words, your brain will develop where it replaces attention instead of psychology, which is looking backwards. It's a huge, huge paradigm shift. The second most powerful thing that's evolved in the last year, which has been remarkable, is that we ask all of our patients simply never to discuss their pain. So let's say you're my patient. I say, look, when you walk out this door, you'll never discuss your pain ever again with anybody. Because where's your attention, right? So first of all, it's not that interesting to people around you. Second of all, it's not even that interesting to yourself compared to other things that you know. Third of all, you're really, really enforcing the pathways. And finally, I had no idea until a couple of years ago how much people talked about their pain. They talk about it all the time. So it really dampens relationships. It dampens enjoyment of life. It really keeps your body's stress chemicals elevated, which is a detriment. And that one suggestion has been incredibly helpful, simply not discussing your pain. And a lot of people look at me and go, well, what do I talk about? I mean, honestly, and I, I, I get it. I mean, they've been in that pattern for so long that actually break that cycle is not that easy to do. But I'm telling you, they come in at two-week follow-up, and even if they succeeded 50%, they're pretty excited. I mean, it's a real marked shift in their overall mood by not talking about their pain all the time. Is that being studied at all in the literature? Have you seen evidence of that? Well, sort of indirectly. I mean, we do know that one of the negative prognostic factors for chronic pain is actually keeping a pain diary. And we were taught at one point in pain management that having patients keep track of their pain in a pain diary was important. Turns out that turnout keeping a pain diary has been well documented to actually be detrimental to solving chronic pain. The other thing we know is that belonging to a pain support group, such as a fibromyalgia support group, has also been very detrimental to people coming out of pain. Because again, people spend a lot of time talking about their pain. The way we discovered about people discussing their pain, I honestly had no idea for most of my career that people discuss their pain as much as they do. But it turns out a lot of people, when you ask them how much of the day they spend talking about pain, they actually will admit to 60 to 80% of their day is spent either looking for a solution or discussing the pain with somebody, and it's a big problem. So when I go to the workshop, the first thing I tell my participants is that you're not here to get rid of your pain. We're not going to discuss your pain. And people go, what are you talking about? We flew 3,000 miles to come to this workshop, and you're telling us you're not here to get rid of your pain. I'm going, that's right. You're here to live your life fully with or without your pain. In other words, develop this new language we talked about. So if you want to talk about your pain and discuss it, I actually ask them to leave the workshop. And we've had trouble with that, with people persistent in discussing their pain. So they think they're there to really understand to solve the problem. And there's sort of a misnomer that the more you understand something, that somehow knowledge is power and is going to solve it. was well, absolutely backwards. The more you discuss it and try to understand it, you've now reinforced it. So it's a structural workshop. It's based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. And the research shows that 95% of people that are in chronic pain are still angry at the person or situation that caused the problem initially. And as long as you're angry, you're linked to that event. The neuroscientists have a little saying called neurons that fire together, wire together. And if you're still angry about something that happened 20 years ago, it's a problem. Your brain's going to stay fired up. So we, we work on awareness of the problem. 
we give people hope. We have hundreds of stories of people going to pain-free. And again, chronic pain, as you know, is a solvable, curable problem. It's not to be a managed problem. It's a solvable problem. And then the forgiveness is a big deal in that as long as you hold on to the past, you're not going to move forward. And then the final part is that when you're angry, your body's full of unpleasant chemicals like adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, et cetera, which actually increases the nerve conduction and increases the pain compared to play, where you're full of oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, and the Valium-type drugs called the GABA drugs. So the chemical bath when you're at play is hugely different than the chemical bath when you're angry and upset. And people go, well, what are you talking about? I'm in pain. How can I play? And I'm not talking about obsessive play just to distract yourself from the pain. It's really taking an attitude of curiosity, gratitude, wonderment, enjoyment, looking forward. Because if you want to stay angry about the pain, the pain's bad enough, but the anger about the pain really makes it unpleasant. And so just calming the nervous system down, decreasing the stress chemicals makes a mass, mass difference in quality of life. And as people, literally in the weekend, probably 80% of the participants go to pain-free within the weekend. Completely amazing. You know, I think one thing that's hitting home for me today when you're just sharing this is this change of language. Really, it's a change of language of, of right. living and focusing. And although it seems crazy to think you, had, you can't get rid of your pain, the reality is there's a new world out there right. and with chemicals, hormones, flying around our bloodstream and our brain and through our tissues that are literally there to help us heal. Right. And, um, you know, it's like being a child again, carefree, having right. fun, yep. playing. And if we can adopt that lifestyle, not just a thing we do once a day for 10 minutes or half an hour, right. but a lifestyle, right? right? Then our chemistry changes and therefore our brain changes and our signals and the nerves change and our pain literally can go away. What's sort of a bummer in today's society, there's a experiment out of San Diego called Adverse Childhood Experiences, called the ACE score. And what they did, they looked at 17,000 patients and they simply numbered adverse childhood experiences like divorce, mental illness in the family, substance abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. And they just measured, they just took a score they found out only 30% of Americans had an A score of zero, and 36% had an A score of three or more. And with an A score of three or more, higher suicide, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, obesity, heart disease, and early death. So it'd be really nice if all of our children were programmed just to play and felt safe as a kid. But what happens when you're raised in a very abusive environment, your brain's hyperactive and it's hypervigilant. So your response to stress is a hyperactive adrenaline response, like it should be to survive. So it's a bummer that there's so much abuse that takes place in the family situations. But remember, the default mode of the brain is survival. It's not having a good time. So the name of this new language I propose is called an enjoyable life. That's the language. And the default language is survival. We, don't, we all know that one. We don't have to work on that one. But unless we deliberately train our brain to go into this in an, in an enjoyable life mode and train it, at least train, learn, skill, um, it's not going to happen. I see what you're saying. And um, yeah, literally, 
everything needs to change, our focus and yep. our activities. Right. Okay, well, listen, thank you. I know you've got lots to say, David. Let's just change a little bit. And can you just share one case that would maybe reach our audience that comes to mind without you know sharing information, obviously, um, just to kind of demonstrate the power of this work that you're doing and sharing with your patients? So first of all, when you invite people to look at the Amazon website, just look at all the different testimonials there. People have just gotten better than I've never met. So very much of a self-directed process. But Esty is somebody who is quite clear. She's very public about her success stories. But she was 32 years old at the time that I met her at Omega Institute at my workshop in 2013. And it was the first workshop. I honestly did not know what I was going to do. So I just combined things I knew were work and tried to put them in a sequence that I thought would work. So as she shows up grabbing her neck, absolutely grouchy, very unhappy with life, she had seen 10 doctors, six sets of injections, high-dose narcotics. She's still working full-time, but just absolutely plummeting with really extreme headaches and also pain at the base of her neck. So the first day, she's sitting there. I'm looking at her. She's looking at me. And she started the writing exercises, started relaxing a little bit. We started talking about forgiveness. And long story short, by Thursday, she went to pain-free. After four years of high-level care, she went to pain-free in four days. And what happened is my wife is a tap dancer, and she was teaching us this thing called the Cuff Song. Of course, nobody knows it. Everybody's laughing and having a good time. But then 24 hours after people started to laugh, those pains started to disappear. It was unbelievable. And so five years later, as you know, is married. She has a child, no pain, no drugs, and she just keeps getting better every year. So literally it took no cost and no real major interventions other than just simply writing, relaxation. Her, everything was forgiveness was a big one, and play was a big one. But we have all sorts of patients like that that are really, really quite successful and get rid of their pain relatively quickly. But yeah, she's just one of hundred. We're probably up over a thousand patients now with different stories like that. Thank you for sharing that amazing story, testimony. So your website has got lots of testimony as well. What's the name of your website again, David? Backincontrol.com. And I would advise people just go to stage one and start going through the steps. And then the book gives you the background. But really, unless you start engaging in the tools on the website, nothing really changes. And I tell my patients, say, look, the book's just a book. And... Um, Reading the book is helpful, but until you actually start engaging in the tools, specifically the expressive writing and the not talk about your pain as the starting points, nothing changes. Okay, well, listen, thank you. Our time is up today. It's too short. We need to talk more, but I'd love to have you on again and to share some more interesting angles on this and, you know, talking more about the website and what patients can learn themselves. So, again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Sounds great. Appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. Bye for now.